Welcome to the State of the Outdoors, where we tell you straight what's going on at the local, state, and federal level that impacts our outdoor heritage. Our intent is to inform and empower the sportsmen and women. We want to encourage them to get involved and be part of the process. We will try not to editorialize or sensationalize the issues of the day. My partner in this venture is none other than our 4th District Commission uh, Commissioner for the uh, Kentucky Chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Mr. Ben Bishop. And uh, I'd like to say we are podcasting in person, but we are not. We are uh, accepting uh, the governor's reinforced rules and trying to social distance. Ben, what's up, brother? What have you been doing? Not a whole lot here. Uh, just been, uh, been getting ready for deer season. Got the bow out a little bit, tuning it up, tuning myself up. Squirrel season opened uh, yesterday, so I'll be getting after that uh, here pretty soon. Uh, what about you? Oh man, I have um, I've been doing a lot. I mean, a lot of archery practice, getting ready for uh, my big game uh, Rocky Mountain archery season, uh, which I haven't had in the last two years because I've been in Alaska hunting moose and bear and wolf and caribou. Um, so it's, it's, I'm actually excited cause you know, I'm going to go do, go do a little, uh, DIY solo public land venture out in the Rockies. Uh, and I've also been, um, fishing a lot at uh, a lot of my buddies, um, you know, small ponds and I've been doing a little fishing on uh, some of the small ponds on Fort Knox, you know, and honestly just trying to bring home the groceries. I'm not trying to catch a seven pound bass or a five pound smallmouth. Um, I'm just trying to bring home a bunch of bluegill and red ear for the, for the, as we like to say, Lake Crisco. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so that's been pretty cool. I shot, uh, I shot an archery tournament yesterday and came in fourth, although there wasn't a whole lot of competition due to COVID. So if everybody was there, I probably came in 10th. <laughs> Who cares? It's, you know, <laughs> One of the best ways to get ready for archery season is to shoot a competition because, you know, that tension um, when you're at full draw of trying to score an arrow is similar to the tension of trying to kill an animal. So that's that's kind of yeah, what's, what's been up. Get the mind going, get the heart rate up a little bit. Yeah. It, it, to, you know, people said to me, like, well, what if I can't make it to competition? I'm like, well, then get your brother and your sister or your three best friends out back and everybody put, everybody put the – five dollars in a hat it's amazing how twenty dollars will make every arrow make your heart race like there's a deer in front of you yeah yeah or, or do some push-ups or run around a little bit first oh that's that's you know man, since i retired from the army i'm i'm trying not to be an athlete so you're <laughs> you're advocating for something else <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, other than other than fishing and scouting and trying to get yourself in in shape and and uh, trying to get your marksmanship on point, there's really not a whole lot to do this time of year. It's it's painfully hot and humid. Yeah, 
break out, uh, break out your Onyx, do a little bit of e-scouting. I cannot tell you how many times I've looked at my favorite 11 waypoints for my elk hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh i have um i'm treating myself to a, a uh i have spent the last three late augusts um bow hunting public land in southeast colorado for for um pronghorn and it is one of the toughest hunts in my opinion um in north america and you can you can talk about whatever you want to talk about and i've probably done it but um it's just tough and uh, yeah. I, I decided this year I'm going to pay uh, for a, a pronghorn hunt because uh, I'm tired of getting my ass kicked. Um, <laughs> you know, speed goats have six power binocular vision and they can run uh, as fast or faster than a cheetah. And, and when they decide that you're a hunter or something's not right, they're in another time zone. Well, that's an exaggeration. They're at least in another zip code by the time you get to full draw. Um, so in three years, probably put in 40 days in the last three years and only killed one pronghorn buck. So this year I'm, I'm paying, I'm paying to, um, uh, to hunt pronghorn and then I'm going to go do a DIY solo, uh, elk and black bear hunt. So I'm pretty fired up. Nice. Yeah. You're going to have a busy, uh, busy fall there. Well, I also drew, um, um, a Montana general mule deer well it's actually either either species mule deer or whitetail i also drew that so i'm um i'm headed out there with some of my favorite purple heart veteran buddies uh to hunt in october so like life is good man life is good awesome awesome yep can't wait to uh can't wait to see what that uh what that brings for you well i, I can't honestly you know what's funny about being a generalist hunter like we are when, when that's all said and done, you know you have the punishment of the waterfowl season, which is actually oh, not yeah. punishment at all. <laughs> it's, it is so awesome. Yeah, yeah that, that pretty much takes care of your December and, uh, and January, and even some of February, you have to stay out for geese. Yeah, and, and you know, you can sit in a blind and drink a cup of coffee and, and, and talk smack, and yeah, you know, your, your scent control, don't got to worry about mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, other than sitting still and kind of staying, you know, inside your camouflage blind, um, waterfowl season is an amazing release or respite from uh, the 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 requirements of big game hunting. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's like no there's no pressure with it. Oh yeah, you're just sitting there, you're relaxing. You know, something comes in, you know, you've got a minute max of like some tense situations. And it's just it's released again, and you're back to relaxing. Yep, absolutely. We um, I just started this past year being a serious waterfowl hunter, and really I can't even call myself that because um, I'm being mentored as a grown ass man. You know, I just turned 49, and I'm being taught how to hunt waterfowl properly, and I'm and I'm very grateful for it. And I'm very very grateful for it. But one of the guys that we hunt with, he only hunts for about 20 minutes before he disappears in the blind and starts cooking sausage biscuits. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Yep. Just like being around everybody, just the just the com- uh, camaraderie of it. Yeah, it's a social event, and and yep. and if you've never, if you're listening to this podcast and you've never eaten, um, a freshly killed, you know, medium rare duck breast, you are missing out. 
it is an amazing meal. I mean, amazing. One of the finest game meats that I've come across for sure. Oh my God, it's amazing. Um, once I figured out how much I love to eat them, I'm, I'm, for me, I'm hooked. I'm permanently yep. hooked. Yep. So, God, eight, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're a bigger waterfowl hunter than I am, and you know that. And and uh, um, I'm just now becoming as addicted to it as you are, and it's it's uh, it it's really cool because you know it starts like the hunting season kind of starts like August 20th if you're into like the Western species. But then it doesn't. Yeah. It almost doesn't end until February if you take advantage of of, of, of a few other seasons. So, yeah, yeah. And I actually just uh, last uh, last few weeks I wrote a piece for John Step over at Kentucky Outdoors uh, Media about uh, an introduction into waterfowl. If you're if you've never been, you know, if you've never been never been duck hunting before, but you want to, you know, uh, go through go through the basic, you know, tips and tricks of scouting and your basic essential gear and basically how to get started for, you know, on the cheap and how to have a, you know, a relatively successful winter with it. So if anybody's interested in that, then go check that out as well. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm genuinely excited that you're becoming a freelance author and, and I mean this in the most sincere way I possibly can. I'm genuinely excited for what John step, and Kentucky Outdoors Media means for the future of oh, Kentucky yeah. of Kentucky sportsmen. You know, we for years have had the benefit of uh, Jim Strader and Jim Strader Outdoors. And, you know, there was a time when it was uh, newspaper articles and magazines and books. And even Jim even had a, um, like a hunting and fishing show at the fairgrounds years ago. But, you oh, know, yeah. Jim's 70, and, and he's still holding it up. He's still doing his thing. But I was always worried about what happens when Jim retires. And and in my mind, John Stepp has picked up that torch and started running with it. Yep. And, and I think uh, that's I think that's a good thing for sportsmen. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't yeah. agree more. I mean, Jim's still kicking it, and he's still doing a great job. But John Stepp is, uh, is really probably the future of what we're going to do. And, and and in my mind allows Jim to ride off into the sunset in the next you know four five six years whenever he decides to. But uh, I've been really really happy with and proud of some of the things that John's published lately, and uh, <laughs> and really excited about you uh, becoming a becoming a freelance author, man. That's badass. Oh yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm trying to spell some knowledge on the people and uh, gain some myself and get into get into writing a little bit more yeah right on man i mean i'm i've connected back with the people i mentored last year and i'm getting them fired up for this season and they've been wearing me out and i got a couple new people that reached out and want mentoring and and uh it's the marrow of it, man. It's 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 the yep. marrow of the bones of what we do is to try to get new people uh, involved and give them the information they need to get started. So um, I applaud you for that article. And on that note, and on that note, my friend, what is going on on the national stage? I'm going to go through two things real quick, and then I'm going to pass it over to you. But uh, we'll start off with the Great American Outdoors Act being passed through the Senate being passed through the House, going to President Trump's desk and him immediately signing it into law. That is finally law. And 
happier about that. If you're just now hearing about this, go back through some of our previous podcasts where we break down the Great American Outdoors Act and, you know, number-wise what this means, but, you know, fully funding land and water conservation fund, addressing all the backlogs and maintenance that we have on our uh, public lands here. But uh, everybody... uh, except uh, we had Thomas Massey, who was the only nay vote in Kentucky. All the other representatives uh, voted yes in favor of it. And then uh, McConnell was, of course, a co-sponsor in the Senate, and Rand Paul uh, with the nay vote there. So thank your, thank your representatives, or if you're in the 4th District with Massey, ask him, you know, what gives. Yep, we all need to reach out. <laughs> we all need to reach out and ask Rand Paul and Tom Massey what, what gives. I mean, these yeah. are overwhelming um, yes votes. These are overwhelming bipartisan bills, and these guys have started decided to be boat anchors. Um, and I get it. They're probably saying nay on principle, but, but when your constituents are saying yay, that's not your job to in, interject or invoke your own opinion. You're, you are a representative of the people. And the masses of the people said yay. So yes. um, that's an, an interesting caveat, and I'm glad you brought it up. And then next up we have, this happened yesterday or two days ago? Late last Trump, week. Late last week. Late last week, Trump withdrew his nomination of William Barry Penley. And that's good. But he's also still the acting director, so he's not going to face that confirmation, but he is still the acting director for the Bureau of Land Management. But you have to think Trump's going to appoint someone else for that to face Senate confirmation. Let's hope it's somebody better. Well, so if if you're tuning into this podcast for the first time, the gentleman named William Perry Pendley... Is a I think dark. Talk about him in almost every single, <laughs> <laughs> every single episode just so far. <laughs> yeah, he, he's um he's a darling of the oil and gas industry, and he wants the divestiture of all of our public lands. He wants them to be given away, um, to the states. And if you look at, um, how the state constitutions were, um, written and how land trusts were written and how schools uh how lands that were supposed to turn a profit for school trust was written long story short states never ever wanted nor intended to have the masses of public land that are in the federal estate they just cannot afford it and i'll give you a perfect example i'm getting ready to go out to colorado to my favorite public land hunt and I'm talking to, I can't tell you how many people um, from guides to outfitters to friends. And Colorado is on fire right now. If the, if the, public, if the federal public lands that are on fire in Colorado were state lands, if Colorado, the state of Colorado owned them, the firefighting and the um, property damage mitigation efforts that are going on based on that fire were a bill posed 
to the state of Colorado, they would be bankrupt. No state in the union could suffer um, the costs associated. And so when a guy like William Perry Penley says, oh, well, you know, the federal estate was never intended to have all of these lands and our founding fathers didn't intend for all these lands that are public to be part of the federal estate. They intended it to be part of the state's estate. He's full of baloney. In fact, I'd say he's full of malarkey. In fact, I'd say he's full of, you know, something else. Um, So um, it's a good deal that uh, his Senate confirmation got tubed. But I'm sitting here like you, brother, wondering who's next. Let's speculate here for just a little bit. Uh, We don't editorialize, but let's speculate. Well, this is just just like your opinion on what would have happened. If he would have faced, you know, Senate confirmation, do you think he would have gotten through or not? No, he would have been soundly trounced. So it was really smart because the the President of the United States administration has done this in multiple ways cabinets and sub-cabinet agencies they've put people in position that would not be capable of standing Senate confirmation if they had the primary position and, th- and, right. and, and let's just be frank this is a tactic that's been used by Republicans and Democratic administrations for decades this is a normal tactic so folks don't go right. crazy this is a normal tactic you put someone in the deputy position, and if they're in the deputy position, they don't have to stand the scrutiny of Senate confirmation. And then in the deputy position, they do your bidding um, from the executive branch of government. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good news story because we as sportsmen and women put enough pressure on the president that he said, okay, this guy's never going to make it. Let's not waste our time with Senate confirmation. That's what I see. But there's also the other side of the coin with that as well and saying, you know, why not go ahead and put him up for Senate confirmation and just let him get denied. That way there is somebody else that, you know, goes into it. Hmm. That's a great point. It, yeah. Sort of, it, I, mean, is it, I mean, is it, am I looking at that from the wrong way or is that, you know, it's, it's just a, a catch-22 mm, here? No, it's not a catch-22. You make a good point, Ben. It's, if the, if the president, if the president of the United States, if POTUS, that's the acronym, if POTUS wanted to truly endorse the sportsmen and women on a nationwide scale, he would have gone ahead and let William Perry Penley stand Senate confirmation, to which he would have been soundly defeated. And then, and then he would have had to leave office. He wouldn't have been able to even stay as the deputy. By, by removing him... Prior to the Senate confirmation, he gets to stay the deputy and he gets to continue to run the agency until someone else is appointed. So you make a you make a good point, huh? You make a great point. Is there a timetable on how long he can stay the deputy director? I do not think so. No. Okay. So it is. I mean, it is. It's. It's good. Well, he could have just been denied, but we'll see where it goes from here. Well, you know, it in the court of public opinion, he lost. Right. 
and that's good for us. Um, yeah. You know, um, I'm gonna pair. I'm gonna. I'm gonna paraphrase here, but Jim Posowitz, who's one of our founding fathers in our generation of the conservation movement, basically said the the public court is the court of last resort. But what he meant by that is when you get to he didn't mean that for us. He meant that for the politicians. When you get to the public court, you're gonna suffer a loss if you're not in the right. And and um I, I'm certainly paraphrasing that I don't have it in front of me, but you know, Jim we recently lost Jim and he was a mountain of a man for what we do, but his theory and his thoughts are proven salient by the fact that William Perry Penley was not going to make it through Senate confirmation and rather than suffer defeat and rather than suffer public humiliation, the, the president went ahead and removed him from that process. So that's good for us. That's good for us. I think. Can't wait to see, uh, see who the next nominees are. Nominee. Well, I, I jokingly nominated Randy Newberg. I saw that. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I, I would be more than okay with that. I think he would do a hell of a job in that in that position. Well, Randy's a brilliant guy. Um, yeah. If, if you guys have never watched uh, Fresh Tracks or any of Randy Newberg's um, hunting TV shows, he's more than just a hunter. I mean, he's a he's a brilliant man, and and um, and uh, he gets it from policy to nuts and bolts, and. Uh, you know, I, I probably jumped the gun when I <laughs> I didn't probably I didn't probably jump the gun. I totally jumped the gun and should not have done that. But if uh, if the sportsmen and women nationwide writ large were allowed to um, just throw a name in a hat, Randy's would be one of them. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and, and he's cool as hell when you meet him in person. Hang out with him. He's just a cool dude and and a real hunter and fisher. So there you go. But uh, what else you got on the national stage, brother? That is it for me. I want to throw it over to you to oh, uh, man. tell us tell us what's going on. Uh, oh, what man. we got going on here? Oh, brother, you're killing me. No, okay. Not too much, is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. So if you're a listener to this podcast, you know that we do a show as fast as we can. As soon as we get our information straight, after any um, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting. Um, and it used to be, before they passed the new uh, commission procedures, that they would have eight meetings per year. Four committee meetings and four commission meetings. And there would be a committee meeting where the four committees, um, fisheries, wildlife, uh, administration and public relations, those four committees would give their briefings. And then the month after that, the commission would meet to consider um, things that were proposed by the committees. Um, that process was changed. And now we have um, uh, a system where we have just four meetings per year, but they're all day long. And basically the same business um, is accomplished. In the morning, we basically have what, what used to be the committee meetings. Or excuse me. In the morning, we basically have the commission meeting. And then in the afternoon, we have the committee meeting, which sets up or tees up the next quarter's commission meeting. So if you, if you can imagine um, 
in September of this year when we have our meeting, we are going to do the uh, the business of the June committee meetings, and then we're going to announce the September committee meeting business, and we will not um, take it under action or take it for action until the December meeting. So we'll have four meetings per year. Basically, the uh, morning is the business session and the afternoon is the discussion and developmental session. So if you follow that, that's where we're at. And and uh, this podcast is based on trying to help people understand what happened at those meetings because those meetings are still on a Friday or Monday morning at 8.30. And most of you can't take off work to be there, but we will. Um, so let's talk about what's going on at the Fish and Wildlife Commission. Um, uh, currently, um, we don't have a scheduled commission meeting until September, but there was a special called, uh, commission meeting, which is why we're having this podcast. So let's talk about what happened. Uh, the first issue is we have a fight over the contract from Mr. Storm, who is our most recent commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. And that is the most prominent and pressing issue. Um, We will get to that issue in this podcast. And in the rest of that, uh, I will refer to Mr. Storm as the head of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. His title is commissioner, but there are nine other volunteer Fish and Wildlife Commissioners, and that confuses some folks. So um, I will talk about our uh, non-staff, our non-paid, our totally volunteer commissioners as commissioners. I will talk about the contracted paid head of the agency, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, as the head of the agency. But let's come back to that um, because that's going to basically be the second half and total end of the podcast. Let's talk about the fact that we had three of the nine volunteer fish and wildlife commissioners, um, their um, terms of service ended. Uh, So if you're listening to this podcast and you're new to the way things work, there are nine districts in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and the 120 counties of the Commonwealth are broken up into those nine districts. And each of those nine districts has a volunteer commissioner. And each of those commissioners serve in a body called the Department of Fish and Wildlife Commission or the Fish and Wildlife Commission. Um, And so there's nine of them. They are nominated by the sportsmen and women in their district. And they are appointed for a four-year term by the governor. So we had three of those nine Um, whose term was going to expire on August the 13th. And in the first district, Dr. Harry Carlos, who finished his term, and we are very sad to see him go, uh, he will be replaced by Mr. David Jones. I do not know Mr. David Jones, nor does anybody that I know, um, but Mr. Jones is a veteran. Uh, He is a dedicated waterfowl hunter and a fisherman. Uh, He lives in Barlow, Kentucky. Um, in the 5th district, uh, Mr. Kevin Bond finished his term, and uh, he will be replaced uh, by Mr. Josh Lillard, who is uh, of the Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers. He's an avid fisherman and a hunter and uh, lives in Hebron, Kentucky, and we're excited to work with him in the future. And then the final um, 
district that has become open is the 6th district. And we were very, very, very excited um, to have Miss Courtney Shoemaker nominated and appointed by the governor to be the commissioner in the 6th district. She would have been the first ever woman on the commission and a nod to our sisters in this community who are an ever-increasing demographic in our community. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Ms. Shoemaker bowed out before being sworn in. And there's a lot of um, discussion and there's a lot of people supposing why she bowed out. Look, folks, she's a grown woman, uh, you know, and she's a very accomplished woman. Don't suppose. If you want to know why, reach out and ask her. Don't, don't talk about it on social media. She did it for good reason, I am sure. Unfortunately, we did not get the first woman on the commission because in her stead, the governor decided to appoint Mr. Rob Lear. Uh, Mr. Rob Lear is also a good choice. Um, he's a hunter and a fisher, and he's a minister. Um, and uh, he's from Versailles. So we look forward to uh, working with Mr. David Jones, um, uh, Mr. Josh Littard, and uh, Mr. Rob Lear. Uh, we are somewhat disappointed that we did not get our first, I'm not going to say we're somewhat quite disappointed that we didn't get our first woman on the commission, but that's the way it works. So for the, for folks that don't understand how the commission works, all new commissioners um, are nominated um, by their constituents in their district, and then they are appointed to a four-year term by the governor. Uh, but before they can serve that four-year term, they must be um confirmed by the senate all right so uh while mr david jones has been appoint nominated by the sportsman and appointed by the governor in the first district he must be confirmed by the senate while mr lillard has been nominated by the sportsman and appointed by the governor in the fifth he must be confirmed by the senate while um mr lear has been nominated by the sportsman and appointed by the governor in the sixth he must be confirmed by the senate if confirmed by the Senate after the governor appoints, they serve for a four-year term. At the end of that four-year term, the governor can appoint them for a second four-year term, which is the limit of their ability to serve. That is a total of eight years. So um, all our uh, apparently sportsmen and women, uh, we, well, we wish they were women. Uh, I, I speak out of turn. All of them are apparently sportsmen, and uh, and if they are true to their word, then uh, we look forward to working with them in the future. Um, so on to the most pressing issue. Okay, so we're going to talk about, uh, and this is a painful subject for me, uh, for those who know me and know wh what's happened in the last, two years this is an interesting subject for me to have to address but um let's talk about the most pressing issue the controversy associated with mr storm's contract to continue as the head of the kentucky department of fish and wildlife resources probably the best way for this um to be um discussed and um for our listeners to be informed is for me to strictly not editorialize or add any hyperbole. There are other media outlets that are doing that, that are adding hyperbole and supposing what the governor intends and, and all these other things. Uh, I, this is not 
this podcast has never been intended to be that outlet. We do not in, we do not intend nor do we ever decide to add hyperbole or editorial into things. So probably the best way for us to help you understand what's going on with um, our Fish and Wildlife Commission, our the head of the agency's contract, Mr. Storm, and our governor's administration is to give you what's going on as a simple chronology, as a simple timeline. And I'm going to do that the very best I can right now. On January 31st of this year, uh, in an executive session of the Fish and Wildlife Commission, our nine commissioners voted unanimously, nine to zero, to offer an additional two years to Mr. Storm, extending his initial contract of approximately 18 months to approximately 3.5 years total. Shortly thereafter, the two-year deal was forwarded by the commissioners to the Tourism, Arts, and Heritage Cabinet. Unfortunately, no action was taken for a number of weeks. On April 30th, the chairman and vice chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission signed the two-year contract, and then Mr. Storm signed his own contract on May the 27th. It was then sent through them to the Government Contract Review Committee of the Legislative Research Commission. Before it got in front of the LRC Government Contract Review Committee, a letter was sent from the chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission to the Office of the Attorney General asking for help because Mr. Storm's contract, the contract of the head of the agency, was sent through normal business channels on January 31st. And by June, it had not been acted on. On June 26th, the Office of the Attorney General issued an opinion. That opinion is Office of the Attorney General Opinion 20-12. You can Google it. It's easy to find. And that was, again, issued at the request of the Chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission. But not only of the Chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission, it was issued at the request of the Fair Board. Because the Fair Board, at Kentucky State Fair, the Fair Board was having a similar issue um, getting uh, their commissioner a, set, a new contract. Um, but reference the head of the F Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, the Attorney General said in reference to the commission's authority and the head of the agency's contract under Kentucky Revised Statute 150.061, Paragraph 1. This is Kentucky law, people. Kentucky Revised Statute is law. So under Kentucky Revised Statute 150.061, Paragraph 1. The commission shall appoint a commissioner of the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources who shall be a person with knowledge of and experience in the requirements for the protection, conservation, and restoration of wildlife resources of the state. Moreover, Kentucky Revised Statute 150.061 paragraph 3 provides that the commissioner shall execute a bond upon appointment of the commission. Again, the text of this statute is unambiguous. 
The commission appoints the commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. Kentucky Revised Statute 150.061 provides the specific authority for the commissioner's appointment, and that authority rests with the commission. See KRS 150.061. Therefore, the Secretary of Tourism and Heritage Cabinet has no role in advising the governor on the appointment of the commissioner because the selection procedure for that is otherwise provided by law. So, folks, that is how the Attorney General weighed in, and that is how most sportsmen and women and leaders in the conservation community in the Commonwealth of Kentucky see it. The commission has the sole authority to choose who is the head of the agency, who unfortunately is also called the commissioner because there's now there's 10 of them. But anyway, um, the head of the agency, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resource. So after the 26th of June, a few things started to happen. And in this chronology, uh, without editorial, we will continue. July 14th, the Legislative Research Commission's Government Contract Review Committee found the new two-year deal for Mr. Storm to be sufficient. This is very important for everybody to understand. All contracts written in the state of Kentucky have to go before the Legislative Resource Commission's Government Contract Review Committee. They can find them sufficient, in which case they move on, and they should get approved, and all things happen. Uh, or they are found deficient, and then they are sent back to whomever originated the contract. So if Mr. Storm's contract had been found deficient, it would have been sent back to Fish and Wildlife to fix it. It was found sufficient, and it was sent on to the Finance and Administration Cabinet. So that was on July 14th that the Legislative Research Commission's Government Contract Review Committee found the new two-year deal for the head of the agency sufficient. On or about that same day, the House Republican Caucus in the Kentucky Legislature sent a letter to the governor's office in support of the head of the Department of Fish and Wildlife's contract. The following day, July 15th, the Deputy Director of Legislative Services for the Governor's Office sent a letter responding to the House Republican Caucus's letter saying that the head of the agency was offered a one-year deal. Mr. Storm was offered a one-year deal and declined it. Also on that same day, July 15th, the Chairman of the Fish and Wildlife Commission, Dr. Kleiner, sent a letter to the Tourism, Arts, and Heritage Cabinet and their Secretary, Mr. Berry, stating that Mr. Storm was, in fact, the legal head of the agency, and Mr. Kleiner requested that Mr. Storm get his equipment back, his, you know, computer and his phone and all the things he needs to run the agency. And not only that, that he be paid for the work he did in the, in the intermission or the interim that this has gone on. Um, and to Dr. Kleiner's credit, he ended that letter with the idea that uh, Mr. Storm needed to get back to work because um, it's his job to forward or move forward the mission of the sportsmen and women. Um, and in that context, Dr. Kleiner is right. Um, the, the business of the sportsmen and women in the Commonwealth of Kentucky is not getting done right now. As we sit here fighting this out, whether the commission's right, or the governor's right, or the attorney general's right, or the tourism cabinet's right, it doesn't matter. 
Our business of sports movement is not getting done as long as this fight continues. So then on the 16th, the Finance and Administration Cabinet sent a letter to the co-chairs of the Government Contract Review Committee who found the contract sufficient. Okay, so the, the Government Contract Review Committee found the contract for the head of the agency sufficient and forwarded it on to finance. Finance and the Administration Cabinet sent a letter uh, stating that um, the two-year deal that the Fish and Wildlife Commission uh, wanted to give the head of the agency was void and unenforceable and the, and the Finance and Administration Cabinet would take no further action. All right, so um, the Fish and Wildlife Commission sent what the Government Contract Review Committee thought was a sufficient contract. Government Contract Review Committee agreed it was a sufficient contract. They sent that contract to the Finance and Administration Cabinet, and the Finance and Administration Cabinet said it was void and unenforceable, and they would take no further action. Also, on July the 16th, <laughs> in response um, to the letter that the chair of the Fish and Wildlife Commission sent um, to the Tourism, Arts, and Heritage Cabinet, the secretary of that cabinet, Mr. Barry, basically just echoed what the Finance and Administration Cabinet said, that it was void and unenforceable. So we have a lot going on to July 14th, 15th, 16th. And then it died down. On July the 28th, in an attempt to clear things up, I personally spoke with Mr. Storm via text. I asked him about the one-year deal. Now, the, ladies and gentlemen, this is not um, some government letter sent from a cabinet to a commission. This is me personally, the host of this show, reaching out by text to uh, who was our commissioner, who was the head of the agency, Mr. Storm. I reached out to him on July 28th, and I said, um, you know, it appeared that um, the commission picked you. And since they picked you, that was in compliance with the law, and the governor gave you a one-year contract, which apparently on face value would be in, com uh, in compliance with the law. And Mr. Storm corrected me, and he said, um, because the contract, the one-year contract, did not originate with Fish and Wildlife, uh, with the Fish and Wildlife Commission, and then um, did not go through the appropriate channels, that it was something that he could not sign. And so, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm not involved at that depth of detail and that granular level of, um, of uh, uh, fact. So I'm just going to accept what he said. So, the, so here it is. On July 16th, um, the uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission sent a letter to tourism asking, you know, why, why haven't you approved this? What's going on? And the Tourism Arts and Heritage Cabinet Secretary said basically the same thing that the Finance and Administration Cabinet said, that the, the two-year contract was void and unenforceable. On the 28th, I asked Mr. Storm via text directly, and he said, and, and I, trust, I trust his word here, that, um, that because the one-year contract did not come from the Fish and Wildlife Commission, that he could not accept it. And, and I'm and I'm good with that. 
So now we move on from July 28th when I reached out to August the 5th. To August the 5th. On August the 5th, the Office of the Attorney General sent another letter. Okay, so on the 26th of June, he sent an opinion saying the Fish and Wildlife Commission has the sole authority to hire and fire the commissioner, and you guys at Finance and Tourism do not get a say. All this has gone on since 26th of June, and now we're at August the 5th. On August the 5th, um, the Office of the Attorney General sent another letter to the governor's office uh, directly to the governor's general counsel echoing their opinion uh, office of attorney general opinion 20-12 uh, that the fish and wildlife commission has the sole authority to appoint the commissioner or the head of the agency at the kentucky department of fish and wildlife resources and in that letter on august the 5th the office of the attorney general attempted to avoid litigation um, he was basically saying there is really nothing to fight about here. Let's get this fixed and move on. Um, it didn't apparently work. Because also on August the 5th, the Fish and Wildlife Commission called a special meeting to discuss what was going on. So our commissioners, our non-volunteer commissioners, head by Dr. Carl Kleinard, can call a special meeting if they need to. On that very same day, August the 5th, they called a special meeting. But before they could actually get the meeting running, they received a letter from the governor's office. And then they had to postpone the meeting on August the 5th to discuss what the governor's letter said. And then it took them exactly a week. And then on August the 12th, they, had, they were able to have their special call meeting. And on August the 12th, uh, Dr. Kleiner uh, read a statement about what had been going on uh, between the governor's office, the tourism, arts, and heritage cabinet, the finance and administration cabinet, and the office of the attorney general, the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, and the Fish and Wildlife Commission. And after that statement, um, the special called meeting, uh, there were seven of our nine commissioners present. Um, the outgoing first district commissioner, Dr. Harry Carlos, could not attend, and the outgoing fifth district commissioner um, mr kevin bond could not attend um, as of august the 12th they were still legally commissioners because their terms did not expire until the 13th but they still did not attend anyway at that meeting special call meeting there were three missions or excuse me three motions and votes uh, the first motion was to reaffirm the vote of the commission on January 31st to give the head of the agency a new two-year contract. Um, also in that motion was to authorize the chair of the commission, Mr. Kleiner or Dr. Kleiner, to execute any contracts or other documents necessary to make that happen. The second motion was for the commission to engage the services of the attorney general to represent them and then also to allow the commission, Dr. Kleiner, or the chairman, excuse me, Dr. Kleiner, to enter into agreements with the attorney general um, to make that happen. Uh, the third motion um, was to authorize the commission to fight this all the way to the Kentucky Supreme Court. All three of those motions passed unanimously seven to zero. Um, Shortly after that special called 
uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting ended on August 12th. Um, the governor broke his pandemic update, uh, his regular scheduled update to address the issues at hand with Fish and Wildlife and the head of the agency's contract. Um, the governor covered his version of the issues, um, which included audit failures, insider deals, and a few other things. Um, what the governor did not do was budge one bit. So it appears that the Fish and Wildlife Commission is going to court with the governor, uh, and we have yet to see whether or not the attorney general um, will actually represent the commission. Um, his published opinions and the letters written would suggest that he will. Um, we are in a quagmire, folks. We are not doing the business of the sportsmen and women of Kentucky. We are fighting over process. Um, whether or not our commission wins or the governor wins is up in the air. Uh, I hope and pray. I hope and pray our commission <laughs> wins. Um, but that's where we're at. Uh, one thing's for sure is the sport, the business sports women and women is not getting done while this is in court. Uh, we have an interim commissioner um, who I believe, I do not know, I believe at this point is a, is a uh, staffer and a biologist at the department. Uh, and not a politician, which is a good thing. Um, our last interim commissioner was a politician who's never even held a, uh, never even had a fishing license. So we're at least in good stead where the current interim commissioner is uh, a sportsman or a sportswoman. But uh, we are in some weird legal purgatory where we are not getting the business of the sportsmen and women done. Um, the, the goodness of this is that our commission's fighting for us, uh, which they did not do in late 2018. So um, we have made improvement there. Um, the badness of this is the governor's not budging. So I cannot and I would not on this podcast, even if I could prognosticate a future, I won't on this podcast. Our job is to, is to inform everybody. So there's the timeline. Um, the, the last actual actionable public item happened on August the 12th. Um, we are podcasting on August the 16th. So, you know, Lord knows what happens between now and when we get this, uh, edited and posted. I said a lot there, Ben. You still with me? I'm still here. I'm just trying to soak it all in. Uh, yeah, a lot, uh lot to unpack there and i know there's um a lot of stuff people are saying on both sides of the issue and uh it's good to just get the facts out there and get it cleared up and uh let everybody make their own uh their own judgments on it as of right now really that's all we can do until uh until further action is taken yeah it, it it's um it's really hard to wrap your head around in the context of the people's business is not getting done. Um, and there's certainly partisan uh, actions being taken on both sides. And 
you know, government's supposed to be for the people. <laughs> and uh, and that's not what's going on here. Um, I, I'm not going to prognosticate as to whether one side's right or one side's wrong. That's not why we started this podcast. But I will say that as long as this goes on, the business of sportsmen and women is being held hostage. And so... Right, yeah. You know, if that if that troubles you as a sportsman or woman, please contact your your legislators and talk to them. Please contact um, whoever's in charge of you, conservation group that you're in, whether it be you know Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Quail Unlimited, whatever. Um, contact them, Trout Unlimited, who cares? And say, hey, look, you know, we need to get when to move past this. Whether the governor, you know, taps out or the commission taps out, who you know. If the commission taps out, we have a really, really uglier problem because then politicians are running things in perpetuity. But the bottom line is is this is going to happen regardless of what Ben Bishop and Mike Abel think. This is going to end however it ends. And our job is going to be to report the collateral damage to the sportsmen and women. Yeah. Yep, that's all we can do. So it, when I I hit all those high points, man, did you have any questions? Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like I covered a lot. Um, I don't think so. You laid it out. Uh, you laid it out pretty well. Uh, very articulate, and uh, hopefully, this will give everybody a better understanding of uh, what's going on. Yeah, and and folks, I, I mean, I did my honest and sincere best job to lay out the timeline. Um, you can see that um, it started in January, but it really, really got rolling on July 14th. Um, and it may take you a little bit to, you may have to go back and listen to the to the kind of like the last 20 minutes of this again to get the timeline. What you'll see is that our commission was trying to get things done and trying to abide by law and that um there's other forces at work and we can't be naive about that you know um house bill 352 last year uh got rebuked um because in the governor's budget there was some monies coming out of fish and wildlife um there's been other uh ugly things gone on like an audit uh and uh you know, the issuance of elk tags to people that probably shouldn't. At this point, it's kind of a survival gig. I mean, if we're going to survive as sportsmen and women under a commission where our um, chosen sportsman, I wish I could say sportswoman, but we don't have one yet. If we're going to survive under a system where our chosen sportsmen represent us on a Fish and Wildlife Commission, where we have some form of autonomy, we really got to put a stop to this. And um, uh, if we lose this one, it's going to it's going to be bad. Um, so, without going into any more editorializing, which we try not, which we try not to do, um, do we miss anything tonight, brother? I can think of. I think we pretty, uh, pretty well covered the bases here. 
All right. Well, you know, big game hunting season starts soon. Um, the next commission meeting is scheduled for, I think, the third week of September. So between now and then, I will uh, be out west hunting pronghorn, elk, and black bear. And I'm sure you will be trying to put the, the move or the sneak on a big Kentucky whitetail. So uh, we will check back with everyone uh, in about four weeks. Um, we encourage you to uh, follow other agencies and other news outlets. Uh, one of the best ones to follow is um, the uh, Kentuckiana Safari Club's Legislative Affairs Committee, which is www.kentuckiana.org k-y-s-c-i-dash-l-a-c at the state level the other one to follow at the state level is kentucky outdoors media um mr john step at the national level there's no other better outfit to follow than uh, backcountryhunters.org um the uh, teddy roosevelt conservation trcp is also a good one um, but backcountryhunters.org at the national level is by far the best one to follow. Um, yep. So uh, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I don't always remember to do this, but I'm going to remember to do it tonight. I'd like to thank Mr. Grayson Jenkins, who's a good friend of yours um, and a talented young musical artist for allowing us to use uh, his uh, music for our intro and exit to this podcast. I'd also like to thank my friend Walter at uh, Louisville Toppers, which is uh, um, that's a truck upfitting business. Look, we don't take any money for this podcast. We don't have any sponsors, but Walter's been working on my truck for ten years, or trucks for ten years, and he is an amazingly humble Christian man, and I love him. So I give him a plug. Every time we do a podcast, he doesn't give me a nickel. But one of the reasons I plug him on this podcast is he will give you a nickel. If you mention Ben Bishop or Colonel Mike Abel or the Outdoor Mentor or the State of the Outdoors podcast, any of our podcasts, um, Walter will give you a discount. So um, that's Walter at Louisville Toppers. They're located at 4040 Preston Highway in Louisville. Uh, you can find them uh, on the internet at www.louisvilletoppers.com. Um, if you've got any issues with me or anything we've talked about on this podcast, you can reach out to me at ranger, R-A-N-G-E-R, at theslowhunt.com. Ranger at theslowhunt.com, all one word. And Ben, how can they reach out to you? Uh, ben Bishop, or Bishop at theslowhunt.com. Yep. That's right. Bishop. Like the like the piece on a chessboard. That's it. Yep. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's our pleasure to uh, try to keep you up to date because we pay attention to what's going on at the national level and the state level. And um, this is the State of the Outdoors podcast, and it is part of the Slow Hunt LLC network. And remember, slow is smooth and smooth is fast.